Uh, today we're going to complete our series in the book of Colossians. It's a series that's been titled Enough, and it's been a great uh, journey over the last couple of months, seeing uh, what God has in store for us as we find our identity in Him. And yes, kids, this is a great time to head upstairs. <laughs> Children's Church, K through 6th grade. It's going to be a great time up there. Before we get into this, into the text today, uh, I just want to show you a couple of pics. My family and I just got back from our big road trip to Canada, 4,100 miles there and back to the land of living skies, Saskatchewan, where I have a bunch of family. So there we are in the Honda Pilot early on in our trip, looking chipper and excited and energized. And uh, it was a great trip. I'll tell you what, I'm not going to show you any pictures from the way back. Those ones, those ones are not pretty. You're going to have to hack into my iCloud to see those ones. But we had a great time. So good to see family get refreshed. I'll pop up a couple other pictures maybe later as well. So we're completing uh, our, our series in Colossians today. We've been thinking about our relationship to Jesus Christ, our identity in Him, and specifically finding everything that we need in Jesus because He is sufficient for all of our needs, including our need for salvation. Jesus truly is sufficient. Uh, Paul also addressed, continues, continued to address this need to leave behind rules and kind of devotion to legalism and to live in this new life found in Christ. Paul knew that the goal was to become fully mature in Christ. So even from prison, Paul had some great instruction and encouragement for the Colossian believers. Today we're going to look at his conclusion. He's got some concluding remarks, some concluding greetings, and he's going to share some, some, uh, what I think are some important facts about some of his friends as we, as we look a little bit deeper into what's happening here today. But let me ask you a question this morning. Before we read, we read today's text, think about your friends for a second. At this point in your life, at this season in your life, think about your friends. What kind of friends do you have right now? I think, if we're honest, there's a few different kind of categories of friends that we have at different points and seasons in our life. I think, if we're honest, we all prefer to have these loyal kind of deep friendships that we can count on, that that people pour into our lives and we pour into their lives, and it forms who we are. That's our preference, and hopefully for all of us that happens uh, throughout our life. But there's other friends. There's friends that are just friends on the surface. Uh, there's, In some ways, we live in a super connected society. If you're on social media, you might have many friends across many nations, uh, and those are great connections. But that kind of personal, uh, in the same location as you, deep friendship is something we all continue to long for. So we have friends that are just on the surface. We have friends of convenience. Maybe you work with them. Uh, those can be great friendships as well. But there are just friendships that you have just out of convenience. Then there's the practical kind of jokester style of friendships. A lot of times guys gravitate towards this. You have friends and all you do is kind of laugh and joke and make fun of each other and and that's great and laughter is good for the soul, but even that doesn't cut it. So again, we want something deeper than that. Well, this morning as we look at Paul's concluding remarks, we're going to look at 
what friendship looks like when it's Christ-centered, when it's formed by the gospel. Let's read the text today. This is Colossians chapter 4. You can stand and turn to Colossians chapter 4. If you have a red Bible from the Connection Center, that's page 989. You can also look that up on the Bible app pretty quickly. We're going to go ahead and read that today. Colossians 4, verses 7 through 18. Tychicus will give you a full report about how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. I am also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that's happening here. Aristarchus, who is with me in prison, sends you his greetings, and so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, the one we call Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers. They are working with me here for the kingdom of God, and what a comfort they have been. Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings, and so does Demas. Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha in the church that meets in her house. After you have read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should be sure, and you should read the letter I wrote to them. And say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. Remember my chains. May God's grace be with you. Please be seated. So Paul has some incredible friendships here, and they're described within this context of his ministry of, as a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, think about back to friends again. Do you know anybody that has a lot of friends? A lot of friends. The Apostle Paul seemed to be one of those people. In Romans 16, Paul mentions 33 friends. He's really great with names. Some of us could do much better with that. Here in Colossians 4, he mentions eight friends who are with him in Rome. So having a good support network of friends is an important thing. certainly was for Paul as he went through the ups and downs of ministry. And I think from our own experience too, we realize that having a good support network can make or break you in life. And having the right kind of friends can be crucial to you fulfilling even your calling that God has given you. Look at Proverbs, the wisdom from Proverbs 13, verse 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. I think we know this is true, don't we, from experience? Uh, your life can literally take off in the right direction or it can completely tank depending on who your company is, the kind of friends that you have at key points in your life. Now that I'm a little bit older, being 39, I would consider that a little bit older. It's all relative, I'm sure. But now I'm a little bit older, I think I understand how my parents felt with this concept of being nervous about the company that their kids would keep. It really is critical. At key moments in your life, it can really take your life this way or that way. 
So parents, I want to encourage you to keep a pulse on that and try to put your, your children in good situations where they can make uh, friendships with people that are going to take them in the right direction. I think back to growing up in Canada, I was in the, um, in the sports scene most of my youth and adolescence, and I remember being on a baseball team when I was 12 years old. And my coaches are all chain-smoking on the bench the whole game. We're 12 years old, half the team is chewing tobacco, and my parents are sitting in the stands just kind of nervously watching. I didn't play too many more years of baseball, but but the uh, the atmosphere with, with basketball and hockey and football was not much better. So parents, I understand uh, how you how you feel, and, and to the rest of us, it's something definitely to keep a pulse on. We want to be putting our children in situations where they can make friendships that help them thrive. So there's much that we can observe about gospel-centered friendships from this concluding passage today. So let's go back to the text, back to verses 7 through 9 again. It says that Tychicus will give you a full report about how I'm getting along. He is a beloved brother and a faithful helper who serves me in the Lord's work. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. I'm also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that's happening here. So in spite of the fact that Paul has never been to Colossae, he and these, he and the believers there had this, this great bond because of their unity in Christ. So Paul is now sending these, these close friends of his to this church along with greetings from a few others. Now back to this idea of a special bond. Have you ever felt that special bond with, with other believers that you either don't even know, you've never met, or you just spent a little bit of time with them and somehow you've got this great, this great bond, this great connection simply because you're followers of Christ. Lauren mentioned the difference it makes when you have the Spirit of God indwelling you. And I think we somehow can sense that in people as we, as we connect as followers of Christ. I think about going to a, a small church plant. Last week, we went to a church called Carpenter's Church in Saskatoon, a church plant, and uh, didn't know anybody there except for my brother and his family that we went with, but instantly felt this connection with people. As soon as we started worshiping, as soon as we prayed, as soon as the message, I just felt this this deep connection and satisfaction with the people that we were worshiping with there. It's a real special bond that you have with other believers. I think about Jenna Reimer. She's got a few more days left in the Ukraine. I'm sure in her month there, uh, she has developed a very special bond with the people that she's been serving uh, over there and as well the people that she served in ministry with. So it's a real bond that Paul feels with the church, even though he's never been there. Therefore, he sends these messengers. Tychicus is described as a beloved brother and a faithful helper. There's no question that Paul completely trusted him. He'd been with Paul to Jerusalem. He had, Paul had sent him twice to Ephesus. Paul trusted him to carry on the work of gospel ministry. And Onesimus was also a trusted and faithful brother in the Lord. So this, this letter and Paul's continued passion for the gospel, even while in prison, was important to the Christians there. It was to strengthen them and encourage them. Now, the fact that Paul sent this and wrote this while in prison actually has a very 
significant theological idea behind it. It's this. The people in Colossae, as they're dealing with false teaching, as they're dealing with all sorts of things that are happening, and Paul's encouraging them to find their identity in Jesus, the fact that Paul cares enough to write this letter from prison tells them about the high cost of the gospel and the fact that God continues to care for his followers in every circumstance that they might find themselves in. So these two guys, Tychicus and Onesimus, can tell us something about friendships that have been affected by the gospel. Here's point number one if you're taking notes. Christ-centered friendships are faithful and marked by healthy communication. They're faithful and they're marked by healthy communication. These faithful friendships are more than regular friendships. These are like family relationships. Have any of you ever lived away from home? Living away from home can be a different experience, and it's always great when people people take you on kind of in a family relationship, friendship type of way. We all value friends like that. Onesimus was a runaway slave, and we learn more about that in the book of Philemon. But Paul sends him back with a new identity as a brother in Christ. As a brother in Christ. His identity goes from, from being a slave to being an accepted brother in Christ. Listen to the words of Paul in Philemon 1, verses 15 and 16. Actually, in verse 16. He is no longer a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So Onesimus became a Christ follower through the ministry of Paul, and now he returns not only as a Colossian, but as a Christian. Paul appeals to this fact in the letter of Philemon. So Christ-centered friendships are more like family relationships. They should also be encouraging Have you ever experienced how just a small word of encouragement can spur you on toward action? Those of you that thrive off of words of affirmation, I think you know what I'm talking about when I talk about how that can spur you on to something. Encouragement moves people to action. But no one moves forward by just kind of standing still and and pondering. I want to show you a picture here. This is a place, this is the South Saskatchewan River in my hometown in Saskatoon. This is an overlooked spot. Many times uh, growing up, I would sit in this spot and I would look at this image in front of me, the river running through, the downtown, the churches, and I would ponder my direction. I would think about where is my life going? What is going to happen? This is the spot when I was 22, I had the thought of moving to California. But it wasn't just because I pondered it that it happened. You need uh, you need some action. You need some encouragement. So in my pondering spots, this is where it used to be. Now it's at Shaver Lake in this little spot that I can hike out to by myself. I go to these pondering spots and I bring my Bible and my journal. And I read and I pray and I hear from God. And then I trust that others are going to come along and give me words of encouragement. So what it takes to move you to action is is not just standing still and pondering and looking. It's hearing from God, it's receiving encouraging words, and it's planning something. So you need a plan and well-timed words of encouragement from others to move into action. And Paul says that he sent Tychicus for this very purpose, to be an encourager, to help these believers 
live out their identity, to move into action. So an encourager spurs people on to take risks and explore opportunities. An encourager will say, what are you doing? Get going, in a nice kind of encouraging way. Get moving. Follow me. Follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Don't give up. You're doing great. We all need to hear those kind of things. Isn't it amazing? You can be on the verge of like quitting a job, you know, dropping out of life in some way, shape, or form, and somebody just has to say, hey, don't give up. You're doing a great job. And all of a sudden, you're you're back on a trajectory of, of, you know, everything's okay. So words of encouragement can be a big deal. Here's another pick. Here's a great water slide. Uh, We spent a lot of time swimming indoors on the way to Canada and on the way back. This was the one water slide that we enjoyed, indoor one. And you can't really see in the picture, but at the very bottom, when the blue slide kind of stops, it takes one more deep kind of sharp dive down and then just shoots you out into the pool. So I went up there with my two oldest, Holly and Leah. and uh, Or actually, before I did that, I went down myself just to kind of test this thing out. And I hadn't been on a water slide in a long time. And uh, I kind of forgot that the bigger you are, the faster you can go. So I started going, and I kind of arched my my shoulder blades to get some speed. And then I regretted that, and I tried to sit up. But then I just started going side to side, and I was out of control. And I just got throttled out of there at the bottom and nearly crashed into this guy with his two little kids. And I thought, okay, I'm going to have to take this easier, but I think my kids should do this. So I went up with Holly... I went up there with Holly and Leah, and they stood at the top. And what did I what did I have to say to them to get them to go down the slide? I had to say things like, "You guys can do this. This is going to be so fun. You can do this." So Holly took my advice. She went down. She absolutely loved it. Leah sat on my lap. We broke the rules. I confess. We went down together, and um, she loved it too. Now. The funny thing was, then they went up to the top, and this time they had a newfound confidence to take this water slide on. They were so excited. They were so into this slide. But they would they would have never gone down if I told them, you know, uh, partway down it's going to go completely pitch dark, and you're not going to see anything. Then the speed's going to pick up, and you're going to have this huge drop. They wouldn't have done it, right? But they loved it. And I think it's the same thing in our relationship with God. God... Uh, is is standing with us and he wants us to take this step of faith in some way, shape, or form in our life and we just, we're just standing there and we won't do it. But God says, you can do this. I'll be with you. Take the step. And when we do, we're so glad that we did and we come back to the next situation with confidence because we've got this spiritual marker memory in our life of when God was faithful to us. So, it's, it's important to be able to take those steps of faith. And that's what an encourager does. We all have the capacity to be friends to other people who can be encouragers and encourage people in their walk of faith with, with God. God is not going to give us all the details. He's just going to tell us to take that step. And then He's with us through everything. So friendships are Im- impacted by the gospel are not only encouraging, but they bear burdens. This is point number two. Christ-centered friendships bear each other's burdens. These two guys, Onesimus and Tychicus, tell the Colossians what is happening with Paul. And as they do this, they're bearing 
his burden as concerned and faithful friends pressing on in the gospel ministry. Similarly, Aristarchus, I can be careful with these names, a little bit tongue twisters at times. Aristarchus is bearing Paul's burden as well, but in a different way. He was actually either in prison with Paul or he was caring for Paul while Paul was in prison. But either way, Aristarchus was a loyal burden bearer as well. This is not the first time he had suffered with Paul. In the book of Acts, we see him traveling with Paul. Then he's taken away by, by a mob in Ephesus. Then he's shipwrecked with Paul. This guy is, is that loyal, deep friend that we all desire. He was willing to suffer with Paul. So bearing each other's burdens is part of being a Christ follower. I think you've realized that by now if you've been following Jesus for even a few weeks. Bearing each other's burdens is part of being a Christ follower. And trials and hard times, they have a way of of kind of sifting people out and, and revealing who's with you, right? Take a look at Galatians 6, verse 2. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. This is what we are meant to do as followers of Jesus. Bear each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. A number of our of our friends in our congregation today and through the course of the summer, they're battling illness, cancer, terribly difficult things. And we're called to share their burden, but also to give those burdens to Jesus. So if someone around you is burdened in some way or weighed down by something, do something quickly to help. I think about one of our our connection classes here, heard of a need, mobilized quickly, and helped and helped the family out and put a lot of time in to do that. That was a great example of sharing each other's burdens. Sharing someone's burden doesn't mean that you just kind of hang out with them and commiserate with them. It means you move quickly to some type of action as well. But we don't want to be like the Pharisees. This is what Jesus says about the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 4. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. You catch that? They actually put burdens on people and then refuse to help them. We're not supposed to be like that. Jesus says this in Matthew 11.30. He says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we've got this kind of tension of yeah, life is hard. Things are difficult. We're supposed to be there for each other. But also bearing someone's burden also doesn't mean that you just take the backpack off of their back and put it on yours, and now you've got the burden. We have to bring that to Jesus. So Jesus never commands us to do anything on our own and in our own power. Even as we move to make someone else's burden lighter, we do it in faith, leaning into Jesus. We can even walk someone into the presence of Jesus by praying with them. That's why we have a prayer team here every week so that we can bear each other's burdens and take them to the Lord in prayer. So whatever you're going through, the more you reject self-reliance and share each other's burdens and lean into Jesus and trust in Jesus, the lighter the burden becomes. It also takes a bit of humility, doesn't it? I think I think Paul really was a humble Guy, He was a strong leader who could be really abrasive at times. But he was humble enough, even as a lead apostle, 
to receive help and encouragement from others. Are we humble enough to do the same? Sometimes we just isolate ourselves and we can't uh, experience that. Later this summer, as we approach fall ministry, we're going to have an opportunity to join a connection group or to get involved in a new ministry area. And these are great opportunities to open your lives to other people. Maybe to people that you don't even know yet. You might have gone to this church for years and years and years, and this fall could be an opportunity to join a connection group, and you're going to get to know people and hopefully develop these deeper friendships in a way that you haven't perhaps experienced before. So we want to open our lives to others to give and to receive encouragement. So let's be people of humility who embrace the interdependence of the body of Christ, the church. So, as Aristarchus and Mark and Justice give their greetings in verses 10 and 11, there's something else worth noting. Look at verse 11 in Colossians chapter 4, the second part of verse 11. It says this, These are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers. They are working with me here for the kingdom of God, and what a comfort they have been. So these are the only Jewish believers among Paul's co-workers. And remember, Paul's task is to bring the good news to the nations, to the Gentiles, non-Jewish people. These guys could have very easily joined the hordes of others who were attacking Paul's message of the gospel of grace and embracing legalism. But instead, they were co-workers with Paul for the gospel. Remember, good Jews in Paul's day regarded Gentiles as like the ultimate lowlifes, people that they should not associate with. If we're honest, I think as we look throughout history, we can see uh, various other marginalized groups of people being treated the same way. It's not just back then with Jews and Gentiles. But this is what the gospel does. It transcends barriers that we construct. The gospel transcends ethnic and social barriers. It promotes unity in diversity. We don't have to look the same, talk the same, dress the same. We can be unified because we have a common faith in Jesus, and that's greater than anything else that we can resurrect as a barrier. So the gospel promotes unity in diversity. I love this fact about Paul. Paul was willing to take on another culture for the sake of someone else. Instead of allowing culture to bring division and conflict, Paul actually took on other people's culture in order to better relate to them and spread the gospel. To the Jew, he was a Jew. To the Gentile, he was a Gentile. I think about my neighborhood. Uh, it's kind of becoming a front yard culture. Some neighborhoods are backyard cultures. You drive in, you open your garage door, you park your car, you go inside, and if you see your neighbor once in three months, so be it. But a couple of neighbors that I've got that are newer in the last few years, they're front yard culture people, and I love it. I get home from work, their garage door is open, their kids are playing in the front yard, they're barbecuing, they're hanging out, it's all about the front yard. So I can make a choice. I can continue with my backyard culture or I can do what they're doing and experience that community and have conversations. And So I think it's a great thing. To take on someone else's culture um, is not a necessarily a negative thing, especially when it's connected to gospel purposes. So Paul doesn't let culture bring division and conflict. 
He, he takes on other cultures to reach people for Christ. But as you think of this idea that Paul's giving us here, I want you to think about this. Who are the, who are the outcasts in your mind, in your life, when you, when you observe life before you? Who do you look at as outcasts? Is it possible that in Christ you can express love across boundaries and minister to people and befriend people that are completely different than you? Could it be that God is calling you to serve the people that you once couldn't even stand to be around? This is what Paul did. Maybe, maybe your future ministry is to the least likely group or culture or whatever that you can think of right now. So the gospel really shakes up our lives and changes things. And as gospel friendships include good communication, encouragement, and bearing each other's burdens, as we learned last week, equally important is a commitment to prayer. Listen to this description of Epaphras in Colossians 4, 12, and 13. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So Epaphras is committed to prayer and to the gospel. He's likely the founder of the Colossian church, as we read in in chapter 1. He'd left the city to go get Paul's counsel, and now he continues to care for for this church from a distance, but on his knees, in prayer, through warring in prayer. He cares deeply about the future of this church. Verse 12 says he prays earnestly. Do you feel like your prayers are earnest? Let me expand that a little bit for you. Other translations say struggling in prayer or wrestling in prayer. The Greek root here is, is, is agon, where we get the English word agonize. Do you get that sense of agonizing in prayer, struggling in prayer, wrestling? This is the kind of prayer that Epaphras is committed to, and I think we need to be committed to as well. Sometimes I think we get overwhelmed with prayer, right? There's so many needs around us. We don't know where to begin. We start praying. We just get kind of lost in, in what's going on everywhere, and we just give up. But let us be encouraged to pray specifically. I encourage you to get a list. Start a list. Just put a few family members on there, a couple friends, a couple neighbors, and pray through it every day and see what happens as you have focused, earnest prayer. I think the best thing we can do for our family, friends, neighbors, and enemies is to pray for them, to pray for them to align their lives with God's will. You ever notice in these letters that when when the apostles pray, they're rarely praying for all the circumstantial changes. When we pray... We typically are asking for all these changes to happen with this circumstance or that circumstance. And when the apostles pray, it's rooted in God's will, their identity in Christ, that they could complete what God has called them to. And I think we can pray for the same things into people's lives as well. So your life and friendships can be saturated by prayer. This is point number three if you're taking notes, the last point as well. Christ-centered friendships are saturated in prayer and grace. Saturated in prayer and grace. Sometimes it's easy to mourn the loss of a season of ministry because circumstances change or maybe we're at a point where we're passing the baton to someone else and someone else continues in a ministry area that maybe we pioneered. But I really believe this, that 
the most fruitful ministry in all of our lives can be that season in life where maybe we're just really, really devoted to prayer. When we were in Canada, my parents threw a little family gathering, and those are always uh, fun and interesting and and long and enjoyable all at the same time. And uh, my brother, <clears throat> my brother's 32, I'm 39, I already mentioned that. We were hanging out, and in the distance we see some of our extended family. We see a couple of our great aunts. And right away we're transported back to being 12 years old, and this aunt is pulling us in. We're squirming away. She's going for the kiss. And, and I, we, we saw this aunt, and uh, we knew we should go over and greet. So we went over there and greeted our, our great aunts and some other relatives. And sure enough, the kiss happened again. Just kind of, just kind of go with it. And, uh, and she said something to me. She said, she said, I've been praying for you every day. And I kind of just, I kind of just shrugged it off. I was like, okay, thank, well, thank you very much. And kind of moved on to the next family member. And then later on that evening, I overheard some of my other extended family talking about that great, that great aunt and how, how much of a prayer warrior she is. And how much, when she prays, things change. Circumstances change. Things happen. And I was just kind of like, wow, I didn't, I didn't realize all these years, I didn't realize that she was that type of a person. So when we left and I said goodbye to her, she said, I'll be praying for you every day. That meant something different than the first time. So prayer is incredibly important and powerful. Um, but pursuing the gospel in our friendships is not without hurt and pain. There's a couple of little clues in this passage that you can miss if you just glance at it. Demas mentioned in verse 14, he actually eventually falls away from the faith as noted in Second Timothy. In the church in Laodicea, who receives a stern rebuke from Christ in the book of Revelation, and is mentioned in verse 16 here, this was originally a historic church blessed with great wealth. And what happens? Inwardly and spiritually lukewarm and ultimately a dying church. So pursuing the gospel is not without hurt and pain, even as we see in these final greetings here. Actually living out the gospel matters for people and for churches. Let's conclude this morning with this with this stark but important challenge from Paul in verse 17 and following. And say this to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting. Paul, remember my chains. May God's grace be with you. So as we enjoy strong friendships rooted in the gospel, friendships with open and honest communication, encouragement, being willing to bear each other's burdens, let's be sure that we carry out the ministry that God has given us. And this is something we can do together. Some of us have different giftings and callings, but we're all going to work together to carry out the ministry that God has given us. We want to become the type of friends that God has designed us to be, where we can be recipients of blessings and also be the giver of blessings to others. The final thing I want to say today is, as we think about friendships that are, that are formed by the gospel, perhaps where you're at today is simply needing to find friendship with God. Experiencing and knowing that the creator of the heavens and the earth knows you intimately and wants to have 
a relationship with you, a friendship, a friendship, a deep friendship with you. And that happens as we turn our lives over to Jesus, as we admit that uh, he has paid the price for our sin and that he has given us a future with hope if we would accept his gift of eternal life that he paid for on the cross. So if you'd like to chat with me more about that today, I'd love to talk with you after the service. Let's conclude in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this uh, this reminder as Paul closes this letter in Colossians about the power of friendships that are formed by the gospel. God, help us to be good communicators. Help us to be encouragers. Help us to bear each other's burdens well and be quick to come to people's aid and support. And God, help us to be people of, of just powerful prayer and great trust in you. Today we just want to open our lives and our hearts to you in a new way as we seek to be the friends that you're calling us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.